New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Roger Houston, and today I'm hosting Jane Hirschfield, who's the author of her most recent book of poems called The Beauty, and her newest collection of essays, Ten Windows, How Great Poems Transformed the World. Welcome, Jane Hirschfield. It's lovely to be here. Jane, in the book I just mentioned, Ten Windows, How Great Poems Transformed the World, uh, which is a series of essays on poetry. One of those essays is on the theme of uncertainty. And it happens, and I'm sure not entirely by chance, that in your book of poems, The Beauty, there is indeed a poem whose theme is uncertainty called I Profess the Uncertain. So would you please begin with, with this poem on, on the uncertain? Of course. I profess the uncertain. I profess the uncertain with gratitude. A man with large hands and large feet first looks at a pencil, then brings it close to his ear. He listens. The day lives briefly, unscented, shaken with worn heel glimpses, becomes a shambling palace with walking fishes, a yellow-roofed kindness, the almost untenable premise that between counting one and two, nothing is lost. And, you know, it's very true. I am and have long been haunted by this idea of uncertainty and the attempt to embrace it. In an earlier book, there's another poem called Against Certainty. I feel as if our ability to not know, to not understand, to not jump to conclusions is what allows us to embrace the fullness of humanity. You know, this man on the street who was obviously not exactly like the rest of us. Um, shall we if, say? Shall we say. If, if I had not been willing to consider what kind of shambling palace this man walking down the street listening to a pencil might be inhabiting, I might have been afraid of him. I might have avoided him. Because I did not jump to a conclusion about who he might be, what he might do, I was allowed instead, at least imaginatively, to enter his world and to understand the richness which might be within such a person. Well, I love how you call it a shambling palace, his mm. life. You know, that this, this life which seems so odd in some way, so strange, yet itself carries a richness, even a richness of kings, that we actually cannot at that moment necessarily know. Exactly so. Yeah, it lies beyond uh, the, the evident. A yellow-roofed kindness. I, I mentioned that, that line not for explanation, because there is none, but, but just for the way it shimmers in my imagination. 
having heard it and read it, a yellow-roofed kindness. You're giving form and texture to this palace that is this man's life. Well, you know, one thing that I love about poetry and about what poetry does is it can create things which seem absolutely real, and yet they lie beyond the perimeter of what is actually possible. Um, kindness doesn't usually have a roof, and yet when you when you say it does, it does. Um, poems extend reality. Yes, and you can even have walking fishes. You can. Yes, indeed. Perhaps there's nothing more uncertain than birth, death, and of course everything that lies in between. But but those those moments when we are aware that something is, someone is coming into this world, someone, something is leaving or has left this world. You know, it's it seems like a doorway to inviting us really to acknowledge the deep uncertainty and transience of our own lives. And this is a theme through throughout your work. Um, but in this most recent collection, The Beauty, there's there's a poem which is just one and a half lines, which speaks to this so eloquently. I wonder if you'd read it. Yes. Two linen handkerchiefs. How can you have been dead 12 years and these still? And these still... And these still, yes, you know it's a it it's it's a remarkable thing. It was, of course, as I think many people have guessed, my father's handkerchiefs, and there they were in a drawer, pristine and iron and real and crisp and touchable and totally surprising me as he no longer was exactly, yes. And yet, and yet, those linen handkerchiefs. For me, anyway, in this one and a half lines, carried the essence, the feeling of your father. And they also carry, I believe, the feeling of the absolute abruptness yes. with which a person is present and then not. Mm. Yes. Which, which requires us almost, you know, to remember to take stock of our lives moment to moment, day to day. How shall I live? How am I living in that way? And that this too is another theme through your work, this questioning, really. Well, it's very much a theme of... Uh, the current book, and probably several books books back, I think it's something which, you know, when you're very young, you write the poems of the young, and when you're somewhat older, you write the poems of the somewhat older. And so, you know, if, if somebody wants to find my X-rated poetry, I send them to an earlier book, the 1988 <laughs> of Gravity and Angels. And even though there are some love poems in, in the more recent books, they tend not to be quite so explicit. And yet, Eros does not abandon us. 
Eros is always, I think, as long as a person is alive, the life of Eros is alive within them. But these more recent books, and, and you know, particularly this one, um, there is more retrospective stock-taking. There is more of a sense of understanding who I have been, what I have done, not in the way of finality, but in the way of if you don't know where you've arrived at, you don't know where to go next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, th- th- this is what taking stock is, isn't it? And it's a continual questioning. It's not something, of course, that holds for much longer necessarily than the moment where we're in the question. Well, we are such shimmering beings. You know, mm. we, we, we are not a fixed self. We are a kaleidoscope of existence. And so it's not as if there's one stock taking. There's continual this moment, this moment, this moment. And the past changes as much as the present and the future do. Yes. Yes, it does. Depending on how we inhabit both the past and, indeed, our presence, our present time. And here, you know, in this poem, my life was the size of my life. Again, a poem in, in your collection, new collection, The Beauty. You, you address this question here. You address this theme of, what is this? What is this, ex- mm-hmm. what is this extraordinary thing that I call my life? Would you read it? My life was the size of my life. My life was the size of my life. Its rooms were room-sized. Its soul was the size of a soul. In its background, mitochondria hummed. Above it, sun, clouds, snow, the transit of stars and planets. It rode elevators, bullet trains, various airplanes, a donkey. It wore socks, shirts, its own ears and nose. It ate, it slept, it opened and closed its hands, its windows. Others I know had lives larger. Others I know had lives shorter. The depth of lives, too, is different. There were times my life and I made jokes together. There were times we made bread. Once I grew moody and distant. I told my life, I would like some time. I would like to try seeing others. In a week, my empty suitcase and I returned. I was hungry then, and my life, my life too, was hungry. We could not keep our hands off, our clothes on, our tongues from... One of the many things I enjoy in that poem is the is again this 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 distance or perspective you're able to take. There's another poem in your book called The Skeleton, where you essentially write to or speak to your skeleton. Here you're speaking to your life as a whole. Uh, and this this quality of, of perspective is just so so crucial to this capacity that you have. And in fact, I see here right next to the poem is another poem, and guess what it's called? (laughs) Yes, it's titled Perspective. And I, I think there are so many things that we want from our lives which are difficult for us to 
find our way to, unless we pause, unless we find a way to invite the imagination, unless we find a way to look with changed eyes from a changed direction. And so, you know, these things haunt me. Perspective haunts me. Uncertainty haunts me. Trying to investigate my life by talking to it and seeing what it might have to say back to me. Um, all of these things are ways of perhaps shaking up our worldview, introducing a question, introducing the possibility of looking another way yet, another way yet, another way yet. And from this, we achieve both the broadness of stock-taking, but also the intimacy of a conversation, a dialogue. I think every poem is a conversation with its subject. And there are things we might have to say as we enter the poem, but there are things the poem is going to have to say to us of which we knew nothing before. Yes, indeed, yes. I, would you read this for us? Perspective and Assay. Perspective and Assay. I will, I will just help with saying that um, the subject of every one of these sentences is the word perspective. Makes one wall darker than the other, leaving a corner. Makes one leaf more red than another, leaving a tree. Blocks with an earthquake, an illness, a phone call, what once seemed important. Holds one perfume close, indelible, while others fade is cubic from every direction, except when rounded, sneezes at ardor, boredom, despair, cannot in general be found, yet is everywhere local, likes magic, for which it is frequently useful, likes dice, likes everything just as it is, then just as it is, then just as it is, enjoys folding anything, Card hands, laundry, letters, elbows and knees. Hums softly in giotto, loudly in tintoretto. Likes mirrors, windows, old portraits, taking the long view. This Chinese scroll, for instance, unrolling as if without limit, its small boat, downrushing river, and strolling deep-sleeved officials in oddly shaped caps. The curious horse looking out from behind the long-needled pine it's been momentarily tied to forever. We've all seen these scrolls. Uh, what, what better introduction to perspective and stock-taking of a life than these incredible 25-foot-long Chinese scrolls with their mountains, their hermits, their politicians, their diplomats, and tied to a tree, their horse. Their horse. Always Indeed. somewhere to get to. Always. <laughs> Always. Jane, thank you so much for being on New Dimensions Cafe. I've been speaking with Jane Hirschfield, author of Ten Windows, How Great Poems Transform the World, and her new collection of poetry, The Beauty. If you'd like to learn more about the work of Jane Hirschfield, you can find her online or you can get to her on the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Roger Houston. Thank you for joining us at New Dimensions Cafe. Please join us again. 
You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.